Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. You know, back in the 80s and 90s when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, um, I really got into professional wrestling. And, you know, this was back in the day when it was Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy, Rowdy, Rowdy Piper and Macho Man Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and all, all of them. That was in the era that they called the Rockin' Wrestling era. And I, I really, I, I didn't want to miss a show. I really got invested in the matches and in the storylines and, and things like that. I mean, I, if, it, if wrestling was going to be on, I, I was going to be watching it. And just remember, I was young, so don't judge me about that but then you know in the in the mid 90s it started to change into the attitude era and then it got really raunchy so i stopped watching uh it, it then but i remember back in those days they that was in the days when they tried to pass wrestling off as as being real so there was always this question over the industry i mean is wrestling real are the matches real or are they not real um, because they maintained the illusion at that time that they were real, and when you're a kid and a teenager, you thought they were real, and well, I guess you didn't really care because you thought that the storyline was so gripping or, or whatever. But today, they don't even try to hide the fact that wrestling is fake. In fact, they've gone to call it now uh, wrestling entertainment or sports entertainment. It's just entertainment. It's not real sport. I mean, yeah, the matches are real in that, you know, these athletes are doing all these stunts and things like that, and sometimes they really do get hurt. But, you know, the, the storyline is fake. The matches are fake. The outcome of the match is already predetermined. So it's not really real. There's not a real battle going on in the ring. There's a lot of people who take that attitude into life that there really isn't any battle out there. That there's really nothing going on. It, it, you know, it, it's just all fake or, or whatever. But real life includes real battles. And they're not scripted. You don't know the outcome unless you know Christ. You know the ultimate outcome. But it's not an illusion. There are battles that go on. And we Christians, we go through battles because you have to consider... Here we are, the people of God, in enemy territory. And our enemy, the serpent, the devil, Satan, whatever name you want to use it, you know, he is called the God of this world. We are in his territory, so to speak. And he does not want us to have a close walk with God. And he doesn't want us doing any sort of damage to his kingdom by bringing people over to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of of Jesus Christ. And so there are battles. They're going on and they come in so many different ways and forms. This is not sports entertainment, or I guess if you want to call it spiritual entertainment, I mean, this is the real deal. These are real battles. Thankfully, the Bible warns us about these battles and prepares us and equips us for these battles. And we have to remember we are called to battle. We can't just sit back and do nothing. The battle is coming for you. And ready or not, here it comes. What is going to be the outcome when you are in this battle? The passage that we're looking at today in Peter, it tells us about one, one version of this battle, one sort of battle that we need to wage. If we don't 
wage the battle. If we don't join in the fight, it will not go well for us on this earth. And what Peter tells us in the two verses that we're looking at today, verses 11 and 12, he tells us that the world system is going to try and stoke the fire in our flesh and lead us away from God. And we have to be careful that, that the world does not so inflame the flesh that it drags us away and we take on the world's values, we take on the world's ethics, we take on the world's morals. We have to fight and battle against the world, against the flesh, so that we do have this close walk with God and we remember who we are in Jesus Christ. And so I just want to read these two verses, if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these two verses. And this is what Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that we take the battles seriously and we fight by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of your word. We fight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I've been doing a study on First Peter, and if you've not heard, uh, you know, been part of the other sermons on First Peter, they're available on YouTube, on our podcast, or whatever. But there's a common theme throughout the book of First Peter, and it's the fact that we are just pilgrims here on this earth. And he reinforces this idea here in verse 11. He says, you know, beloved, you are sojourners. You are exiles. And that word means you are not at home. You are merely a visitor passing through this world. Because we are on a journey to a different destination. The place that we're currently located at is not the end goal. This is not our permanent place. I guess if you want to use an airport analogy, this world is a layover before we get to our final destination. And so this is the reason he, that Peter just keeps telling us this theme of you are a pilgrim. You are a pilgrim. You are a pilgrim on a journey. You are merely passing through this world. The reason he is repeating this is so we don't get comfortable in this world and we don't invest so much time and energy in this world that we take our eyes off of the prize who is Jesus Christ. And we don't take our eyes off of the eternity that we are going to spend with him. Or to put it in words that Jesus himself used, we are not to build for ourselves treasures here on earth. We're Moth and rust can destroy and thieves can steal. Instead, we are to build treasures for us in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy, where thieves cannot steal. In our passage, Peter says that it is a battle to live that way, to think that way, and to remain that way. We have to fight for that. And so there's just two real easy lessons. I mean, it's a very simple outline uh, that we want to look at today. 
And the first lesson that we see today in light of this fact is that the reality of the battle, there really is a battle. We cannot sit back and think, well, you know, the battle is going to pass by. If I, just, if I just hunker down and I keep quiet and I stay out of the way, I, I, I'm not going to have to face the battle. Well, if, if you act that way, you've already lost. What good are you to the kingdom of God if all you're going to do is hide the entire time? And so we are called to the reality of the battle. Now, Peter in our, you know, he, he's told us throughout this letter, you have been given a new life in Christ. Now live like it. Christ has given you a new life, so actually live like you have this new life. Because the world wants you to live one certain way, but because you have this new life in Christ, you are to live in a completely different way. Because you are a pilgrim. You are a sojourner. You are an exile. And because you are those things, don't pick up the habits and the customs of the world where you're at. Don't start acting like the, the earth people. You are not of this earth. Don't pick up those customs and habits. So it kind of reminded me, like a few weeks ago, we went on vacation to the Dominican Republic. We were only there for about a week. One week. It was temporary. We did not move there. We did not make our residence there. So we didn't start speaking like the residents. We didn't start taking up the habits and customs of the residents. We were merely visitors at the time. You, if you are a Christian, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are but a visitor on this earth. Don't take up the customs and habits of the world system that opposes God. But it's a battle because we have forces working against us. And this is where, you know, this whole theme, it's picked up in these verses, and the central word here is abstain. We are to abstain from giving ourselves over to the passions of the flesh. We are to keep away, we are to avoid, we are to keep our distance from sinful desires or sinfully fulfilling the desires that are within us because after we're saved we're given a new life we are given the holy spirit to reside within us but let's face it we are still in the same bodies that we had before that have the same weaknesses this body still has sin in it this body still has the sin principle in it so even though I'm saved, even though I desire to do right, that sin with its habits is still within me. That sin that still remembers the old ways is still within me. And what happens is the world around me and the world around you is trying to stoke that within us. The world is trying to influence us and stoke those desires within us so that we would seek to fulfill them in sinful ways. We have this passion, this desire within us. The world says, yeah, give into that, and here's a way that you can give into that. You know, that, that combination of the world, you know, kind of egging on and sin, it reminded me of these videos that, I, you know, I've seen on social media where you see these guys doing these stupid things and these stupid stunts, and, you know, some of the videos are, are labeled 
you know, dumb ways to die, or some of the videos are, are labeled why women live longer than men. And uh, when you see those videos, you understand why women live longer than men if men do these stupid things. Because what these videos are is there's these guys who willingly put themselves in harm's way to do a stunt because I guess they thought it was a good idea at the time. But when you watch the video and you watch how things end, yeah, that's an epic fail. And boy, you just cringe thinking about, ooh, ee, that had to hurt. You know, I, oftentimes I'll end up saying, ooh, that's going to leave a mark. Lay. But you watch these videos and you see these other people on the sidelines watching this guy do this stupid thing. Now you would think that somebody in that crowd would say, um, you know what, that might not be such a good idea. But no, what are they doing? They're cheering him on. They're egging him on. Yeah! Go do that stupid stunt. And then, you know, it's an epic fail and they're just all like, ooh. This is the picture I have of the world egging on the flesh within us. The world says, yeah, that, that, that desire there, go with that and I will give you a way to fulfill that. I'm going to egg on your fallenness. I'm going to egg on your sin within you to find an illegitimate way to give into those desires. Now, each of us, it's, it's all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different upbringings. We all have come from different environments. So we all have different desires that are pulling at us, wanting to give in, wanting to be fulfilled in ways that are not pleasing to God. And the world is egging that on. The world is cheering us on. Yeah, you know what? Give in to those desires, but give in to it this way. Follow my way of doing it in ways that dishonor your body and in ways that dishonor God. Now, the desires and passions themselves might not be sinful, but God has placed boundaries around these desires these passions. But the passions themselves don't want to follow the boundaries, and the world is telling us you don't have to follow the boundaries because the world says, look, I got a way to scratch that itch that's within you, that's gnawing inside of you, and you do it my way, and you'll be satisfied. And it goes completely against the ways of God. Therein is the battle. Do I... Scratch that itch the world's way, or do I submit myself to the ways of God? And so we have strong desires for intimacy that God has bounded within marriage, but the world says, who needs that? Here's all these different other ways that you can give in. We have strong desires for a spiritual relationship, a spiritual the God says, I'm here. Come to me in prayer through the word. But the world says, no, you want to make connection. You want a spiritual experience. Here, here's an idea. Why don't you spend mindless hours on social media and live vicariously through other people and what they do? We have anger sometimes. We want to give vent to that anger. God says, don't sin in your anger. Vengeance belongs to me. 
But the world says, well, why wait? Go get your revenge now. Kill them, literally, or more often, kill them metaphorically by ruining their reputation, by slander, by gossip, or whatever. We have these desires. God has boundaries. The world says, eh, you don't need boundaries. And so Peter says, here's the battle. Abstain. Run away. Keep your distance from the passions and the way that the world wants you to fulfill that passion. Because these passions and the world's ways are fighting against us. We are at war. It is battling against us. And we have to fight back. It's fighting against us. We fight back. I mean, if we just say, oh, oh well, I'm, I'm going to give in. Eh. You've lost. And unfortunately, the problem with much of modern Christianity is that we are too lazy to put up a fight. We're just like, eh, uh, uh, I'm, I'm too tired. I don't want to fight, so I'll just give in. Or, well, let's be honest, we enjoy our sins so much, we're like, eh, I'm not sure I want a battle. I like this. I like my sin. It's my pet. I want to keep it. You have no idea the damage that you are doing to yourself when you refuse to fight. The battle is real. It's a real thing. It's not fake, not spiritual entertainment. It is real deal. And we have to consider the damage that could be done if we don't fight. We also, you know, consider the, the glory that comes when we do fight and we overcome and we're victorious. So that leads to the second of our two lessons today. Peter gives us the reasons for the battle. I mean, the battle is real. Why? Why do I need to battle? Why can't I just give in and say, hey, I want to live how I want? I just want to do my thing. Well, each of the, the two verses, verses 11 and 12, they each give a reason why we are to put up that fight. Because there's great harm <coughs> if we don't battle against these things. So what are the two reasons that he gives? One, we battle to have a healthy spirituality. We battle to have a healthy spirituality. We want to be spiritually healthy. Peter says that these passions of the flesh are fighting against our own souls, is what he says. I mean, it's not just talking about the immaterial, invisible part of us. It's talking about like our whole person. That these passions, egged on by the world, want to do us damage spiritually, emotionally, I mean, and as well as physically. The word for soul here is the word psyche. And so, you know, we think of mind, but it's talking about just the whole person. It's our essence. The world, using our passions, wants to do damage to our essence, who we are. These desires, egged on by the world, want to drag us down. Make us something less than who we truly are. It's looking for illegitimate sources of satisfaction. I have this passion. The world says that it can fulfill this passion, but it's an illegitimate source. But the world is going to try, and the passions themselves, again, that sin principle within us, is going to try and distract us and keep us away from the legitimate source. It's going to keep us away from Christ. Christ alone can give satisfaction to our souls. Period. 
There's no exceptions. Even in legitimate things that we can do here on earth, ultimately, they will not satisfy everything. Only Jesus can satisfy everything. The world says, and our passions say, no, 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 no. Come over here. Drink from this water over here. Drink from this cistern over here. Drink from this, this puddle over here instead of coming to the living fountains who is Christ. Our passions, egged on by the world, want to drag us down and keep us away from the source of life. I mean, picture this. Our passions, egged on by the world, they're trying to, it's like an anchor that's trying to drag us down to the bottom of the sea where it's dark and it's cold. The anchor doesn't want you to go to the light and to the air, to the source of life. They want to keep you down here. And every time we say, you know what, I'm going to give in. I'm going to give in to my passions. I'm going to give in to the world. I'm going to follow what I want to do. Every time we do that, we weaken our desire for Christ. When we do not see the infinite value of Jesus Christ alone and how he alone can satisfy the soul we just go with the flow with our passions. We just go with the flow with the world. We decide, you know what? The world's values are better than God's values. And so I'm going to value what the world values more than what I'm going to value what God values, and God values Christ above all else. I can't put it more eloquently than John Piper, so listen to what John Piper said. He said, when the desires of the body, which themselves may be innocent, become sovereign and independent of God, now the soul is enveloped in a sea of desires that are communicating to the soul continually that it should join them, not in the pursuit of God, but of the world as the source of satisfaction. That is idolatry, and that is deadly and destructive. That is war on the soul. When we don't know the infinite desirability of God and how he's for us in Christ, our desires will inevitably latch on lesser things and drag the soul down away from Christ. So the way out of soul-destroying into soul-saving truth is to see Christ and to have a true knowledge of him and his beauty and his worth so that the soul embraces him and with him a whole new constellation of desires. That is salvation, not the destruction of the soul, because faith sees Christ for who he is, loves him, rejoices with inexpressible glorious joy, and so attaches the soul to its life, the source of all its true and everlasting pleasures. In other words, we are not in the grip of the desires of ignorance anymore. We are in the freedom of the desires rooted in true knowledge of Christ's glory. So our counterattack on the desires of the flesh that wage war against our souls is to pursue a true knowledge of the infinitely desirable Christ and then to obey this truth by embracing it as our treasure, embracing him as our treasure, and rejoicing with inexpressible and glorified joy. That's the battle we fight. The desires of the flesh draw us away from the all-satisfying Christ. But God opens our eyes and draws us to true glory. The one warfare leads to destruction. The counterattack of truth leads to salvation. And you know, we talk about salvation in, in the sense of not going to hell and going to heaven, 
but there is also salvation of being delivered from the bondages that we have placed upon ourselves. And we will only be delivered from the bondages of sin, because Jesus said whoever gives in to sin is a slave to sin. The only time we'll ever be free of those bondages is when we see Christ as all-satisfying, as our everything. The passions of our flesh, mixed in with the world, they're not seeking our spiritual health. They are seeking our spiritual destruction. If you want to be spiritually healthy, then battle. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, and you will find peace and satisfaction in Christ. But now Peter also gives a second reason for the battle. What's the second reason to take up the battle? Verse 12, we battle to have a strong witness. We battle to have a strong witness. Verse 12 tells us to keep our conduct, keep your, your lifestyle among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. <coughs> Peter tells us to abstain and to fight these passions so that our lifestyle, so the conduct of our lives are so morally upstanding that in the long run people cannot deny we're living for God and maybe just maybe by our lifestyle their hearts would be softened and open to hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus Christ now listen to me your lifestyle will not save someone it's only by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, when someone hears the gospel spoken and believes and trusts in that truth, that is salvation. You repent, you turn from the world, you turn toward Christ, that is salvation. But I'll tell you what, if your lifestyle is no different from the world, if your lifestyle sometimes is even worse than the world, I guarantee you there's going to be a, a door that is closed to a gospel hearing. If you're not living different from the world, why would they want what you have? But if you are living a lifestyle in such a way that it is morally upright and it's morally beautiful, their heart will be like, oh, hmm, I wonder what it is that they have. I wonder what it is that they, they got. And then it opens up to hearing the gospel message. If, you don't, if you're not living according to your passions like they are, if the world isn't, isn't dragging you around like the world is dragging them around, they'll be like, hmm, I wonder what's different about them. They'll see the beauty of your life and want to know more. But, but, you know, Peter says, the thing is, though, at first, they might call you evildoers. They see you living for Christ, and they'll call you evildoers. Boy, are we not seeing that in our day and age? We're living for Christ. We are standing up for life. We are standing up for human value and dignity, 
in all of its ways. And the world points at us and says, you bunch of hate-filled bigots and blah, 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 filling all these other names that whatever they call us. Even when you speak to them humbly in love, at first they might call you an evildoer because you're you're, you are going against the system. You are fighting against the system. You'll be marked as an evildoer. When you do good works in the name of Christ, yeah, you, you're still going to be marked an evildoer. But there will be some who see the beauty of the Spirit working through you, and they'll change. I mean, think of the Apostle Paul. He hated Christians. I'm going to imprison Christians, and you know what? If they die, they die. I'm going to get all the Christians. I hate them. They're evildoers. And then he was completely changed, and he saw the beauty of Christ. And then he saw the beauty of Christ within the people. But you have to stand You stand for God and his truth in the beauty of that lifestyle. You know, it has to be said and it has to be warned. I mean, you can stand for truth, but you can be very harsh about it. And Peter is saying, no, that's not the way. Or, you know, you can stand for truth, but your lifestyle is completely antithetical to what it is you're proclaiming. You're saying, I live for Christ, but you're giving in to the passions of the flesh. And Peter's saying, no. That's not it. But if you live your life in a manner pleasing to God, it abstains from the passions of the flesh. At first, unbelievers may call you evildoers, and they're wrong. Yes, you're called to a holiness of living, but eventually, some, not all, but some may see how you live. And the good works that you do and they will give glory to God the Father when they say you know what that's amazing he's he or she is right Jesus is worth all of this you live live in holiness you live for Christ at first evildoers some might die calling you an evildoer but some will be open to the gospel And on the day of their salvation, they won't be cursing you and they won't be cursing God. They will be glorifying God because God used you as a means to get them the truth. Jesus put it another way, right? In Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You say you believe the gospel. You say you're a Christian. Are you living in the beauty of Christ or are you living in the passions of the flesh? And people can tell the difference. People aren't dumb. People aren't blind. They can tell. They can tell. Warren Wearsby wrote about an incident that happened in 1805 where some Native American chiefs and warriors met in Buffalo Creek, New York to hear this minister that came from the Boston Missionary Society. He, was, he came to, to present the gospel. And they heard the gospel. But in response, one of the leading chiefs named Red Jacket responded this way. He said, Brother, we're told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We're acquainted with them. 
we're going to wait a little while and see what effect your preaching and your gospel has upon them. And if we find that it does them good, that it makes them honest, that, it, that they're less disposed to cheat Indians, we're gonna, we will consider what it is that you're presenting. They want to look at the beauty of a life lived in Christ. Is that the real deal? And so our lives can open up someone to a gospel message. If you live like the world, people aren't going to see the Savior. They'll see just another religious hypocrite that talks out of both sides of their mouths. So think about the way that you talk and act at work, at school. Would people see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven? Consider your social media posts. Are they filled with worldliness, inappropriate language or whatever that, that wouldn't challenge the lifestyle of an unbeliever? Or would they see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven? Is your conduct of life such that unbelievers would see your life as honorable? Or would they call you evildoers? And even if they call you evildoers, are they right or are they not? Or are you living a life that gives glory to God in purity and holiness? I mean, this is the battle. There's nothing fake about this war. We have to fight this battle. Our passions of the flesh are egged on by the world, and we have to fight against it so that we have a beautiful witness for Christ. But how do we do that? And so I'll close real quick with, it's not going to be up on the screen, but very quick, three considerations about how to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And these three things, they come from John Piper. They're not original to me. First, do whatever is radically necessary to abstain from those desires. Do whatever is radically necessary. Be radical about this. Do whatever is radically necessary to abstain from those desires because Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Second, replace your old passions with new passions. Replace your old passions with new passions. Earlier in this book, Peter said in chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't put your hope in this world. Don't put your desires in this world. Put your desires in Christ. Put your hope in Christ. Put your joy in Christ and Him alone. And third, develop new and increasingly intense longings for God's Word. Long for God's Word. Blessed is the man who meditates in it day and night, and only then will he or she be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that gives its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, whatever it does prospers. That's, that's who we want to be. In, in, the same, in our book, a few verses earlier, in verses 2 and 3, Peter says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, talking about the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And he is good. 
And so Christian, maybe you want to come to the altar today and ask God to break the chains of passions of the flesh that are holding you down. Christian, maybe you want to come to the altar today and pray that God would give you the strength to abstain, to fight. Come to the altar and pray, Lord, may my life be a reflection of your beauty, of your majesty, of your greatness, so that people may see me and my good works and give glory to my Father in heaven. But maybe you're not a Christian. You cannot live a holy life and a Christ-pleasing life and a beautiful life outside of Christ. And so you repent. You turn from the world. You turn toward Christ. You believe that Jesus died for you. He rose again. And you know that only through him you are given life. While we have our time of invitation, I'll be up front. If you need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, please come down. Give your life to Christ. And, and as Peter said earlier in in verse 3 of this chapter, taste and see that the Lord is so good. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.